And in Acts chapter 1, uh, it says, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating uh, with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard, uh, have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and, uh, excuse me, my eyes are uh, getting old, <laughs> and a cloud had... Uh, a cloud um, hid him from their sight. Then uh, they were looking intently up to the sky as he was uh, going when suddenly the men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, he said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you had seen him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you together as a church, uh, singing these songs, taking communion together. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. We pray that we would hear from you through your word. Uh, we know that you speak through your word, and uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be moving uh, in this place, in our hearts, uh, in our lives, uh, and be leading us to you, and that this would be a, a moment in that, in that journey. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is January 5th, 2020. Has anyone here actually made that mistake of writing 2001-9 and, and then having to go back? And I've made that already many, many times. Uh, but it's a new, it's a new decade, the, the 2020s. That's pretty exciting. So this is the first Sunday uh, in 2020. And the last Sunday of this decade will be uh, Sunday, December 30th, 2029. Uh, now, maybe that doesn't sound too far off, but I bet it'll come quicker than you think. Now, this last Sunday, uh, we celebrated everything God did in 2019, and I hear it was really encouraging. So I have a question for us as a church, uh, for us you know, personally, but us as a church body. Here's my question. What do you want to celebrate on Sunday, December 30th, 2029? What do you want to celebrate 10 years from now? I mean this as a church body. What do we want to be able to celebrate? Imagine if we could celebrate anything. Imagine if we could celebrate people coming to faith, new people believing in Jesus. Imagine if we could celebrate new baptisms people repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Christ. Imagine if we could uh, celebrate us all beginning to read our Bibles more and spend time with Christ and growing together as a church family. Imagine if we could uh, celebrate growing in our love for Jesus, our knowledge of his word. 
Imagine if we could celebrate uh, sending out each other uh, into our communities and into our, our world and into our jobs and into our families on behalf of Jesus Christ. Imagine if we could celebrate uh, uh, people from our midst uh, uh, rising up and going out to become missionaries in foreign countries or becoming ministers or pastors in churches. Imagine if we could celebrate all sorts of different movements of God in our church and in our ministry and in our community on Sunday, December 30th, 2029. What do you want to see God do? in the next 10 years. On that Sunday, 10 years from now, I want to be able to celebrate how Jesus has worked in and through us as a church body to be his witness to this world, to be his witness in Westford and on our front lines and to the ends of the earth. Now, there are 3,647 days between now and then. That sounds like a lot of days, doesn't it? 3,647 days. But if we're standing here in 10 years from now, it's going to be like like that. It's going to be a snap of the fingers. And so we want to use our time wisely. And so we're going to use about the first uh, year of uh, this next decade to study a book that is all about being a witness for Christ in the world, Uh, the book of Acts. It's gonna show us how to be a faithful witness. It's not gonna promise us that if we are a faithful witness, uh, we're gonna see lots of conversions or, or things happen, but it gives us that hope. It gives us that vision of what could be, of what is possible. And so we're gonna dive into this book. We're gonna look at this story of the first church, the first church and the first churches, the first missionaries, and how they loved God and what they did and how they served him and went out and were a witness in the world. And so I hope this is an encouragement to you and to me and us as a church body as we start out a new decade of ministry. Now, as we read these first 11 verses, we encounter this encouragement, we encounter this big idea that Jesus gives us everything we need to be his witnesses in our world. This is my big idea for the day. Jesus gives us everything we need to be his witnesses in our world. And we see Jesus giving uh, the disciples, giving his followers, giving those that believe in him and trust in him uh, three things, kind of three helps as they begin this this new stage of of life. I don't want to say without Jesus, but without the physical, tangible presence of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is a new stage of ministry. And he gives them three things to help in their witness to the world. He gives them first his proof of his resurrection. Proof of his resurrection. I want us to look kind of through this passage, just start in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. So what is he talking about? What's the former book? For those of you who know the the, uh, the author Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He kind of wrote this two-part series. If you go to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, you see it's addressed to Theophilus as well, just like this book. Now, we did a whole sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, and so this is really a, a kind of a continuation of that series. Now we're into Acts. 
Luke was a physician, and he joined Paul in many of his missionary uh, journeys in the kind of the later half of the book of Acts. We'll see that as we go along. And so uh, we can trust that Luke, this physician, this doctor, this highly educated man who, who spent time with Paul, who spent time with other believers, that he knew what he was talking about. That he wasn't just coming up with nice stories. He wasn't just creating things off the top of his mind. He was researching. He cared immensely about the details. And he was presenting proofs. The first proof he gives is just the resurrection. This is a, a proof that Jesus himself is giving. We see this in verses, uh, the second half of 1 through uh, verse uh, 4. I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after in giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. So even here, we see a couple proofs for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus presented himself to his disciples as alive and well. And the story they tell is that he was, uh, there was something different. There was something like glorious and unrecognizable, but also recognizable about him. That he could appear and disappear, but also uh, incredibly real and tangible, right, and, and alive. Like, he didn't appear to them as like some limpin', ashen person who had just barely survived uh, a near-death experience. Now, he was alive and well just three days after his crucifixion. And then he appeared over a period of 40 days to over uh, 500 people. 500 people. I bet Luke talked to many of them. He gave them tangible proofs as he ate with them. He ate with them. He took food. He talked with them. He let them touch his hands and his side. It was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to them that he was indeed alive. They saw him dead. They saw him hanging on a cross. And now he's alive. And these disciples were so convinced they were willing to die martyrs' deaths. They were willing to suffer and die. And actually in verse 8, the word for witness, it's the Greek word martyr, martus. That's where we get martyr from. To be a witness, to be a martyr. So you could, you could rephrase the big idea this way. Jesus gives us everything we need to be his martyrs in our world. To be his witnesses. Sometimes this costs us something, doesn't it? It's a great way to start the new year, right? (laughs) Happy 2020. What could possibly motivate me to give my life? And maybe the Lord will call us to be actual martyrs and actually die for Jesus. But Romans also talks about being a living sacrifice, kind of being this living martyr, being this living witness that lays down your life day after day for the sake of Jesus Christ. What could possibly motivate and inspire and cause us to do that? Only if someone who had died came back from the grave and told us there's a way to have eternal life. And it's through me. That's the only way I'm going to give up myself for him. If I know there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a chance, there's a hope, there's a promise 
of eternal life. That's what Jesus did. He came back and said, I'm alive. And if you believe in me, one day you will be resurrected too. One day you will rise from the grave. And that changed them. And I hope it'll change us. Now, this might have sparked a few thoughts in your mind. You're like, okay, well, this is, this is all talking about like kind of the internal evidence of the Bible, right? That's how the Bible presents itself. But how do we know that we can even trust the Bible? How do we even know that we can trust this story? Those are all really good questions, and I, unfortunately, don't have the time to answer them all or any, really any of them this morning. But if you're wondering those things, I would love to wrestle with those things uh, with you. I'd love to walk with you and talk about those things. And I know many other people in this church, or elders and other uh, longtime believers, would love to walk with you. Uh, But I did want to recommend kind of a few resources, a few books that you can check out on your own and then come and we can have a conversation and we can uh, walk through them together uh, that, that kind of wrestle with some of these difficult aspects of of coming to faith and believing in God. This field of study is called apologetics. Uh, it's a fancy word, just means like reasons to believe, uh, uh, kind of a reasonable faith. Uh, the first one is just more than a carpenter. And guess what? We have this back at the Welcome Center. This is a, a brief uh, but powerful introduction to uh, why we can believe in Jesus. The author, Josh McDowell, kind of shares his story of how he came to faith and kind of the, the arguments he encountered. And it's a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good way to start out. You could try The Case for Christ. We also have this at the Welcome Center. But it's the story of an atheist who was a journalist who went and, tr- like, his wife became a Christian. His wife became a Christian and it annoyed him so much that he's like, I'm going to prove that this is wrong. This is false. And so he investigated Christianity and now he's this Christian who, who loves the Lord and is telling others about Jesus because he realized there are many good reasons to believe in the Bible and to even believe that the resurrection happened, that Jesus really rose from the grave. In fact, he wrote many books. He wrote The Case for Faith that deals with some of these more theological questions like if there's a good God, why would he let um, uh, good people suffer? That's a hard question. Why is there evil in the world if God is all good and all powerful? Well, you can read this book. How about uh, the case for the real Jesus? Maybe some of you have watched some of these uh, like movies like The Da Vinci Code or, or read, heard about like The Gospel of Thomas, some of these early um, writings that claim to be Scripture and yet present a different story of Jesus. Well, this book dives into some of those uh, more modern challenges to Christianity. So it's a good book. I like this one. This one's really good for students. Uh, really uh, just beautiful, powerful. It has illustrations in it. That's What's Wrong with Religion? Nine Things No One Told You About Faith by Sky Jatani. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. It's, it's brief, but it, it's, more, it's not necessarily like a, as much an apologetics. There are apologetics in it, but it kind of walks you through logically uh, why Christianity is true. It's the only true faith. And uh, it does a great job. So check that out if you want someplace simple to start. Maybe you're like, man, I don't have time to read a whole book. Even this book's like short, but I don't have time for that. Well, you can check out a website, uh, Stand to Reason. I, I remember when I was uh, 17, 18, I really got into apologetics for a couple of years, and I, I loved this organization. They have a lot of great articles. They also have a podcast. I don't listen to it anymore, but it was really good at the time I was listening to it. So you can check it out. I hear it's still good. Uh, check that out. Uh, or you could, uh, maybe you just want to uh, incorporate some of these reasons to believe in your daily uh, studies. Well, you could get an apologetics study Bible. 
Uh, I have this, and uh, it's, a, it's a nice way if you want to incorporate it in as you're kind of reading through the text. You can look down into the notes and see, oh, okay, this is, this is telling me a good reason to believe in Jesus, and here's a nice article to go with it. So you can check that out if you want. But those are a variety of resources. This will all be on uh, the website on the sermon page, so if you want to go back and, and look at them again or check them out. Uh, but please do. If you're wrestling with, like, oh, I, is Christianity, like, uh, a good religion to believe? Believe in? Uh, is it the only true religion? How can it make these claims about the resurrection? Then check out uh, these resources. Don't just kind of go through life uh, coasting, like really dive deep into this. So Jesus gives us everything we need uh, to, to believe and also be his witnesses. So you could get any one of these books. If you have a family member or a friend who is struggling with uh, why to believe, you could pick up one of these books you could give it to them. Uh, I, would, I would encourage you to do that. But I also encourage you that if you're going to give it to them, then say, hey, I want to read this with you. And then make sure that you like say, hey, we're going to read this chapter this week, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, and so walk through the reading of the book with them. Uh, please do that. And I'm happy to do that with anyone uh, here that uh, needs to wrestle through some of these things. God gives us everything we need. Jesus gives us everything we need to be his witnesses in our world, including proof of his resurrection. Uh, but you and I all know that uh, you can uh, present the gospel, right? You can present the good news about Jesus Christ that, uh, and, and, and reasons to believe, uh, but that doesn't necessarily change someone's heart, right? And there is a difference between apologetics, like reasons to believe, and the actual content of the faith. Remember to, to present Jesus himself. Right, that Jesus lived among us, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, and then he rose again to give us eternal life. Make sure that you don't skip over that. <laughs> That's the most important piece because uh, sometimes people will argue with like apologetics and reasons to believe, but when they actually hear the message of Christianity, they're like not going to argue with that as much because it's good news, it's gospel. But you can present these things, right? You can present reasons to believe. You can present the gospel. But you and I both know that the Holy Spirit has to do something in someone's heart in order for them to believe. We don't just believe out of nowhere. God has to be working in us. And so uh, the second thing we need, we need proof, but we also need power. We need power uh, for our mission, power to go about what God is calling us to do. And, And God does give us power. He actually gives us himself. Verses 4 and 5 say this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. We're going to read about that in Acts chapter 2, which is going to come up pretty quickly. But if you remember uh, who God is, right, there's, there's God the Father, he's kind of the, he's the source of all existence, uh, he's the Godhead, these are all big uh, kind of theological words, but he, he's, he's God, but there's also the Son, Jesus Christ, who's also God, but he's his own person, and the Father is his own person, then there's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is his own person, so there's one God, there's three persons. They're distinct persons, and yet they're, uh, they know each other, and they're, um, they're interacting, and yet they, they share the same nature. Just like we're human, they are God. 
Now, Jesus is special because he's both God and man. Uh, but focusing on the Holy Spirit, there's a couple points I want to make from that. The Holy Spirit is not like this... Uh, We've all seen, well, we haven't all seen it, but many of us have seen Star Wars recently. The Holy Spirit is not the force. It's not not this thing that we can kind of move with our minds and we'll do what we want and like this mysterious uh, midichlorians. Uh, (laughs) There's like two Star Wars fans in here. Uh, He's not like that. The Holy Spirit, uh, I guess you can uh, refer to the Holy Spirit as it, but even calling him a him, right? Because he is a person. He is a person, and, and he can come, and he fills us with his power. When you are full of the Holy Spirit, you are full of the fullness of God. And that's powerful. That changes us. That means that we are empowered. That there's something different about us. The Holy Spirit resides in us. Now, there's this idea, and the, 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 the Scripture presents that, like, we need to have the Holy Spirit to even know Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and gives us this ability to believe. But there is like, the Bible does talk about like the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that means like the special presence. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers you to do the things of God. And so yes, we need to believe, we need to receive the Holy Spirit, but then we need to be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, it should change us. It should change us as a church body. Should change us uh, uh, individually, uh, how we go about our days. Uh, and so I wanted to share um, a, a brief story of a, an illustration of someone who I think uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit and lived their life that way. So I was listening to this thing called the Holy Post podcast, a good podcast, uh, but I, I listened to an interview uh, with a, a woman, an author, who wrote about the life and faith of Mr. Rogers. Uh, now, maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you don't. Uh, Fred Rogers loved the Lord. Uh, he was actually a, uh, a Presbyter- an ordained Presbyterian minister. Uh, you might not know that, you might know it. Uh, but he, uh, throughout his television career, he tried to integrate his faith and belief and practice into everything he did. He would often get up in the mornings uh, and pray and spend time in the Word uh, before he went about his day, and he'd pray for people. And this uh, this seeking God, this seeking the Holy Spirit really uh, changed him and empowered him for what he did. Uh, there's lots of different stories of uh, him calling people when they were in need at just the right moment, uh, being there for people uh, when they were going through a crisis or a, a hard time. In fact, one woman told a story, this was probably the best story, she worked on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for several years uh, and her husband was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and so he was dying. Uh, it was a hard time, but she believed that the Lord was going to heal her husband. Uh, but one morning she woke up and her husband had died during the night uh, right next to her. So this really incredibly sad and tragic moment. Uh, and that's when she heard a knock on the door. <laughs> and it was Fred Rogers. Uh, he had been praying, uh, and uh, he said something like, I was praying, and I felt like you needed me. Uh, and he was there uh, because the Holy Spirit had led him to her 
door, which I think is incredible. Uh, and so they cried together. Uh, he was able to call the funeral home uh, and uh, help arrange. and Just be there in that moment of crisis because he was seeking the Holy Spirit. And it changed this woman's life. It changed many other people's lives. And he would actually pray that the Holy Spirit would like, do something between him uh, and the camera and his audience as he was going about Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He wasn't able to outright like, share the gospel on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Uh, but he incorporated many aspects of his faith into what he did and then uh, personally was able to share more. And so this changed people's life. We can have something like that (laughs) because we also have access to the Holy Spirit. We have opportunity to be filled with the very power and presence of God himself in our lives. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, (laughs) it might not look exactly like Mr. Rogers, uh, God wants to fill you in a special way. He wants to fill me in a special way. He wants us to seek him and to be filled up with his power to do his mission, to do his work in our world. And so Jesus does give us this mission, and I want to uh, uh, focus on that mission. Now, since we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're seeking him that we can actually go about and do the things that he's calling us to do. I think sometimes we, uh, I think I'm guilty of this. Uh, We do the mission, right? We're like you know, I, I'm, yeah, my, my, my tank says it's like on empty, but uh, let's go, let's drive down to Boston and back, right? No, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit first, to be empowered by him, and then Jesus gives us this mission, this outward mission. The series is called Outward Church, and we see that from the very first uh, verses in Acts, Acts 1-6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It doesn't really sound like an Kind of an outward-focused question, does it? It sounds more like, hey, when are we going to get the kingdom? When are we going to get the power? When are we going to get to rise in the ranks with you as you take over Israel? And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's a stupid question. He doesn't do that. Instead, he says, don't worry about that. Focus on what I want you to do. Focus on being my witness. Verses 7 and 8, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's beautiful. Jesus calls them to not worry about... about his kingdom, about kind of building their kingdoms, but to focus on just being his witnesses, on being faithful and present where he has called them. And we see kind of this Jerusalem, my Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and it does in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, right? We're going to get to that shortly, not today, but in the coming weeks. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I brought some maps. I'm sure you can all read those, uh, those cities uh, really easily. Uh, but I, I brought a map to kind of give you an idea, right? We have ancient Palestine right here uh, and all the different cities. Um, but we can kind of see uh, an outward focus, right? Jerusalem is right here, and then Judea is right here, and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And so I brought a sort of an approximation of the order that we see the gospel spreading, the witness going. Right? It starts with the green, Jerusalem, and spreads to Judea, and the northern to Samaria, and then outward to the ends of the earth. And we're actually going to see this pattern 
This is really an outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 through 7, we're going to see the gospel in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 8 through 12, we're going to see it in Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts 13 through 28, we're going to see it going to the ends of the earth. You're going to take it all the way to Rome, which is kind of like the the capital of the earth at that time. Uh, But I don't think the gospel message stops. This is sort of the the geographic plan of expansion uh, for the early church. Uh, This is uh, an outline for the, the book of Acts. And I believe there's something in here for us. I believe there's a pattern here. Now, when you read Acts, just because it says something happened doesn't mean, oh, we have to do church exactly that way. But I do think God reveals um, theology or or principles through history. That's like the whole point of the Bible uh, is is, uh, God communicating through real and tangible events. And so I think there's something we can learn here, something for our mission. See, I think our mission as a church, it starts in our Jerusalem. I think our Jerusalem is Westford. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's the political, economic, and cultural hub of the nation. It's a a really important city. It's the city where God has them at that moment. Uh, And this is the city where God has placed us, the town, town of Westford. Uh, I believe God has called us to Westford to to reach this town with the gospel, to be witnesses in our community. Now, does this exclude other towns, Chelmsford, Littleton? Absolutely not. There are many towns that you have been placed But I believe that for us as a church, it starts here. Our mission field starts in our own backyard in Westford. But Jesus quickly expands the mission, right? Uh, How about our Judea? I think this is actually uh, more in line with our front lines. It could be like your your local community as well. Uh, But I think this is really our front lines. See, the disciples are not really from Judea, but they're kind of like from Judea's northern cousin, uh, Galilee. And, and so it's almost like he's saying, you're going to go back to your, your hometowns. You're going to go back to those relationships you already have, those communities you've already been a part of, those people you already know, and you're going to share the gospel with them. And I think that's what we're called to do. We are called to go to the people that we are already around every single day, our front lines, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, and share about Jesus with them. To live spirit-empowered lives like Mr. Rogers and to share Christ with our neighborhood in the ways God calls us to. So think about that. Where's your Judea? Where's your front line? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I think Samaria is those who are different than us. Samaria is not super far from Judea and Jerusalem. It's northern. But if you ever read the New Testament, uh, and you know the kind of the story of the Old Testament, like Samaria was uh, not highly esteemed. They were looked down upon. They were judged by Judea. Uh, they didn't, most people didn't like Samaritans. They viewed them as like these apostate um, uh, Jewish people who had, had uh, abandoned, uh, abandoned uh, the one true God uh, before the exile in the Old Testament. And um, they're kind of mad at them, frustrated with them, didn't see them as truly the people of God. And so there's a principle uh, for us in here, uh, here that like, God calls us to those people that are different than us, that maybe we're uncomfortable with, or maybe we're just unfamiliar with. God is calling us to them. And I think we all have um, perhaps a tribe or group of people uh, that hold a different ideology or political beliefs or religious beliefs or whatever uh, that 
maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with because they're just different. Or uh, maybe it's just people that you don't really know much about. Uh, and so uh, you're like, they're, they're just different enough to just not feel uh, great about. I think God calls us to them. God calls us to people who are different than us, who, who it's not in our comfort zone. And, uh, God calls us to those people as a church, but individually as well on our front lines. And how about the ends of the earth? I think this really comes to, to missions. Uh, the, the, we support missionaries as a church. At the end of Acts, it goes to Rome. I think we, too, are called to the ends of the earth. Uh, God might be calling you to become a missionary. God might be calling you to be his missionary to the ends of the earth. You ever thought about that? But God is also calling us just as a church to, to be praying for our missionary, to be using our finances to, to fund missionaries, to be going on short-term mission trips abroad to support our missionaries, to do his work. And so I was, I was looking at this, and, uh, and other people have different ways of uh, breaking apart Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and that's fine. But I was looking at this and kind of thinking about the missionaries that we support as a church and how we are um, addressing these four different areas. And this is what I came up with. Uh, I didn't run this through the missions committee, so I don't know if it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> but this is what I came up with, right? Our Jerusalem is Westford. How are we reaching them? What ministry or mission missionary is reaching them? And I think that's us. That's us as a church body. It's Cornerstone Congregational Church, and that is um, enabled, equipped, uh, driven by the, our outreach team uh, as we're all trying to reach this community. Uh, and there are other teams that are involved with that as well. There's Judea. How about our front lines? Well, that's each one of us. We're each responsible to be reaching our front lines. And one of our missionaries, uh, Chris Lake with the Veer Institute, he is helping to equip other churches in New England to be reaching their front lines. And so we're giving money to him and helping further people as, as they reach their Judea. How about our Samaria? Well, you know, I don't think these people are all that different than us, but maybe areas that we're not as comfortable with or as, um, as familiar with are things like Vision New England Prison Ministry. We support them. Uh, Dennis Frediani. Uh, hopefully we'll learn more about them um, Prison ministry, right? That's a, that's a, that's a different thing. How about uh, Bethany Christian Services Safe Families, right? Uh, bringing a, a, a child that you haven't known into your home to watch and care for them for a couple weeks who uh, is uh, probably a, an immigrant somewhere uh, from somewhere overseas. There's some overlap there with the ends of the earth, actually. Our denomination, the four C's, I just put that in Samaria as kind of uh, their uh, trying to um, reach different parts of the U.S., different parts of our nation. How about the ends of the earth, our international missionaries that we're supporting? we got Mission of Hope, Haiti. Right? We, we send short-term trips. We fund them, the Emmanuel Orphanage. And then France, Thierry Marone, he's uh, working in a country with very few uh, believers in Jesus, although they're largely uh, Catholic. And so when I read this, I, I am actually very encouraged by the ways that God seems to be using us as a church, Cornerstone Congregational Church, to, to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we can just go home. We're good. No, the Lord calls us to keep working, to keep going. Uh, in seminary, one of my professors said that pastors tend to overestimate how much they can accomplish in three to four years and underestimate how much they can accomplish in 10 to 15 years in the life of a local church. And I, I want to take that and apply that to us as a church body. 
I think we can underestimate or overestimate how much we can accomplish in three to five years. We're like five years into this. We have accomplished a lot. But sometimes we overestimate uh, how much we can accomplish in that time. And then we underestimate how much we can accomplish in even a longer period of time. We have a whole new decade in front of us. God can do some amazing things through our church in the next 10 years. I, I, I sort of hope we do underestimate. I hope that like, God does do things that are even greater than we could ever imagine. Uh, and if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, I know he will. So Jesus gives us everything we need to be his witnesses in our world, proof of his resurrection, power for our mission. The final one is motivation to go. Uh, the disciples are standing there. Jesus has risen into heaven, and they're, they're like waiting for him to return. And two angels appear, and they're like, hey, it's time to go. Go back to Jerusalem. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, and then the mission is going to get started. And that's true for us as a church. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him here. And we're empowered. And so let's go. Let's do it. Uh, Jesus is coming back. And I want to be ready just like those disciples were ready, but I want to be ready by going and doing what he's called us to do. See, I don't want to get to Sunday, December 30th, 2029, 3,647 days from now and still be standing here <laughs> wondering, like, what's happening next? No, I want to be able to say, wow, look at what God is doing in our midst. Look at the things God is accomplishing among us. I want to have something worth celebrating. I want to tell others about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I hope that we will want to do that as a church body, that we will want to be witnesses, that we will want to be faithful witnesses, and that we will be empowered by God himself in us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us everything we need to be his witnesses in our world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his presence here even this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us as we have our church meeting after, after the service. That your Holy Spirit would empower us as we go out among our relationships in this world, our front lines, our Westford, our communities, uh, even as you send us out as missionaries to the end of the world. Lord, would you empower us? Would you fill us in a special way? We don't want to do this without you. We want to do this with you. Lord, bless our offering. In Jesus' name, amen.